themselves and where God has been moving them and what uh, he has in store for them. So if you would like to support them, very easily just shoot an email over to info at overflowchurch.org and we'll get you all set up on how to do that. Uh, if you want to be a part of the kingdom movement that God is doing through them, uh, just shoot us an email, any of our staff or that email address, and we will help you get there. Other exciting things that are coming up super, super quick. We are regathering in two weeks. So September 13, we're going to be in the building. It'll be the same like reserve your seat kind of situation. We'll be at like half capacity. Uh, but it'll be a great opportunity for you to also be here in person with us. We miss you. You miss us. Let's get a chance to hang out. Uh, it'll be great. So this morning, uh, we are in our second to last sermon in this series that we've been in all summer entitled, Things I Wish Jesus Didn't Say. Because there's some things that Jesus says that are just objectively hard to deal with, right? Like, love your enemies. Okay, wasn't really excited about that. Or, you know, hey, blessed are you when life is bad. Uh, you know, like the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are you when you're poor, when you're mourning, uh, when you're persecuted, right? These are not necessarily easy things to hear. Uh, but it's been an amazing series to be in. And so we have this Sunday and next Sunday left in this sermon series. And so in your Bible, we're actually going to leave the Sermon on the Mount this Sunday. Uh, so if you've got a physical Bible with you, flip on over to Matthew chapter 28 and then just kind of get toward the end of that chapter. That's where we'll be. Uh, but if you're on our online platform, online.overflowchurch.org, uh, we've actually included a Bible just off to the right-hand side. So you can click on that, scroll down to Matthew 28, and we will be there. Uh, see, this is the last thing in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus said. And it's a familiar passage, but we occasionally need to be reminded of just what exactly Jesus meant by this. So Matthew chapter 28, we're going to pick up the action in verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, we call this passage the Great Commission because it's the great sending moment that Jesus has for his disciples and, by extension, us as believers in Jesus. Uh, we can get familiar with this passage and then we hear it, we're like, okay, and our brains kind of click off. But to remind us of just the power that Jesus has in this, we're going to look at some of the key words that are happening in this statement. And so this first key word that we're going to look at is go. Because, okay, so we've got like the therefore, you know, therefore, since the entire Gospel of Matthew, all 28 of those chapters has happened, because of all of that, go. Jesus' first thing here is, is go. It's not, okay, because we've established the entire Gospel of Matthew and Jesus has done all these miracles and teachings, sit down. Jesus' statement is go. There's movement, there's action, there's something to this that compels us to do something. Now, easy, like, first question that pops in our brains is, okay, if he's saying go, like, who am I going to? Like, where am I going? What am I doing? Uh, who do I go to? Uh, easy rule for this. 
Imagine real quick that I realize you're probably inside because you're watching this online, but imagine you're standing on your front step, whether it's your apartment or your house or wherever you're living. If you can see them, they count. Anybody you can see from your front door counts as someone, when Jesus said, go, he had them in mind. Beyond that, we have this beautiful technology called a phone. And so as you're scrolling through your phone, you know, if you're on Instagram, what, Facebook, whatever you're doing, if you can see them, they count. Because this unique thing has happened uh, with, so, uh, with technology and social media where we have access to, like, hundreds and thousands of more people. Uh, if you can see them, they count. This is harsh reality, but a necessary reality we need to remind ourselves of about this statement from Jesus. If we are not willing to go, we are not ready to grow. Like at Overflow, we talk about gather, grow, go all the time. That's like our pathway for how we grow as Christians and how we actually live out the Christian life. Uh, which is an amazing and awesome thing. However, if we are not willing to do the go part of being a Christian, we're not ready to grow. Grow is not just a matter of like, okay, now that I've agreed to these certain doctrinal set of statements, uh, I get to sit down now in a building and listen to other people teach me, and now I just kind of, I read a bit on my own, and then I pray on my own, and I just keep it to myself, and it's just me and Jesus, and I grow that way. Uh, yes, you definitely need to have that relationship with Jesus, that growing aspect where there's prayer and there's being in a community of believers. But if it stops there, we have missed, like, word number one in Jesus' great commission to us as believers. If we are not willing to go, then growth just isn't going to happen. Faith becomes real when it becomes public. Faith becomes real when it actually runs into other people. Because then you can't hide what you believe and you can't be kind of wishy-washy. It's like, okay, cool. Uh, I have to believe this because I told somebody else. And so that's the first word Jesus says. And so, okay, we've got go, and we kind of know where we're going, uh, but do what exactly? Uh, next phrase, make disciples. All right, so over here, we have go. All right, got that? We're on the same page. Great. And make disciples. Now, Jesus had something very, very specific in mind when he said this. Uh, Jesus, on, on earth in the first century in Israel, was a Jewish rabbi. What they would do uh, when rabbis would get about 30, 35, 40 when they'd established their own body of teaching, when they were ready to roll, what they would do is they would recruit a few people to be their students. That would be called a Talmudim, it'd be their crew, it'd be the people they would hang out with, that they would pour into everything they had. And these students, called disciples, would be attached to that teacher for an incredibly long time. Everywhere that the teacher went, they would go with them. Everything that he said, they would listen to. Everything that he did, they would watch. The teacher would help them emulate everything that he taught so that they could put it into play in their lives. It, not only would they do that, they would even often live with their teacher. There's no, like, life separation at this point. It means taking on a few people 
to be like intimately connected with for your in, like entire existence for a certain amount of time and pour into them everything you have. That's what Jesus has in mind when he says, make disciples. What he did not say was convince a bunch of people uh, to, you know, gather together. Let's all get in a room together once a week uh, so we can mildly agree or sort of pay attention uh, to what's going on. Uh, you know, we get to worship, which is amazing. Uh, but then, you know, maybe at the end of that, because we call ourselves very evangelistic, maybe at the end of that whole, like, big gathering just once a week, uh, which is really impossible now because of COVID, right? Uh, anyway, but beside that, you know, get this whole gathering together and then, like, emotionally play with people a little bit so that they can get to agree with us and, like, repeat after me a few things and then get them to do that, call it good and ignore it from there. That is not what Jesus has in mind. Now, Gathering together, very important. Us being able to pray together and pray in agreement with the movement of God, very important. But again, if it stops there, we've missed the point. True disciple-making is slow, inefficient, and straight-up unsexy. Because it looks real attractive to be able to, like, go on a short-term mission trip. You know, you snap your photo with a bunch of people that don't look like you, usually kids, because people like that better. Uh, and you're like, hey, I got my Facebook profile picture for the next, like, three years, and I get to get credit for, like, what I did there once. Uh, and that's like, oh, cool, disciple-making. No. Disciple-making means that we are just attached to other people. And especially for us, this means, like, we're giving other people everything we've got and there's like some reciprocation going on there. Like we're, we're learning from each other, that mutual mentoring, that kind of like, hey, I'm going to teach you everything I know about Jesus as best as I can. Uh, whatever I do have right, I'll share that. And what I do have wrong, we'll kind of discover along the way. We'll figure it out. Uh, and we will both demonstrate how to follow Jesus well together. It's incredibly slow. It's incredibly inefficient but it's the best way. A couple of years ago, uh, I was working in a factory uh, up in Holland because I, I was working uh, with a church on the weekends and doing some other ministry stuff in the evenings, but Abby and I needed more money, so I worked in a factory during the week, uh, and I ended up being like the only Christian on the shop floor, which is a unique set of circumstances. Um, but like when you, when you start that way and when you're with a bunch of non-Christians, you generally have to slow play it. Uh, you don't like lead with, here's my uh, altar call. Uh, I just met you uh, on a packing line. That's generally how it goes. So you have to kind of slow play it. You get to know them. And then you like bring them in like, hey, I'm a believer. You should be on board with this, right? Uh, but it took so long, probably for the first four months that I was there, I saw basically no impact. Had no real, like, longer than two sentences conversations about anything important, uh, though I tried and I was frustrated. I was like, God, why is this not working? Like, we got past that first week or two where I let them get to know me and then I, like, really hit them with that Jesus stuff. Uh, and, and we're friends, but we're just not getting that, like, interaction that I'm hoping for. We're just not getting to that point where uh, I'm able to actually like bring people closer to Jesus or even like be invested in any meaningful part of their lives. And it was incredibly frustrating. Horribly slow. 
Then one day, I'm, uh, I'm tying up a skid. We just got off of lunch, uh, and so I've got my headphones in. I'm tying up a skid because that's the exciting work you do when you're pastoring on the weekends uh, and working in a factory during the week. Uh, so just tying it up. I got my headphones in, and from behind me, all of a sudden I hear, so I hear you're religious. You have got my attention. What? Uh, and, and this girl was like, uh, you're like some kind of like part-time pastor. And I was like, hurts a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's what, I, what I do. She's like, all right. I want to talk to you about something. And then she began to share with me like just some of the different like social anxiety, she had some of the mental health issues that she was experiencing. She was only a tenth, like she was in the building for like six days total. But then all of a sudden, this opportunities began to happen where I got to be like and have meaningful conversations with people. But it took so long to get to that point, like four or five months of just being with these people, you know, 40 hours a week. But that's how it goes. While it is much easier and looks much more attractive to be like, hey, I got hundreds of people to uh, agree with me on something and I told them a message, the slow and inefficient just being with people and being a Christian with people is disciple-making. Quick, quick thought for you, just a thought experiment. When did Jesus' disciples become Christians? Just like pick it out in your brain when you think that happened. Um, now, to remind you, our general rule that we have uh, is that you're a Christian when you've either like received the Holy Spirit or when you have a functional understanding of like the cross resurrection deal. Um, Jesus' disciples definitely did not have that within the first like three years. If we use like the Holy Spirit, like filling a believer as the general rule of like, okay, you're a Christian. Um, three and a half years, which means that Jesus himself spending every day with 12 dudes, and then briefly down to 11, then back up to 12, because of some other issues. Every day for three years before they were actually Christians. I mean, mind you, even after, like, Acts 2, when the Spirit fills them, uh, they still kind of have some, like, what is going on here moments with how the cross and how it works with, like, other people that aren't like them. And they're like, okay, let's see, uh -huh, how does that go? But even giving them some grace on that one, like, three, three and a half years before Jesus himself gets people to the point of being Christians, like, it's okay if you can't get it right immediately. It's okay if the person you're working with takes a while to even kind of come around to having the conversation with you. It's okay. You don't have to have that immediate impact that's really attractive to everybody else. Like, you don't got to have the stat line right away. Like, no. Just be willing to be a part of the process with somebody. Because when we go and we make some disciples... We've also got some other aims that Jesus is locking in on here. So next key phrase, we've got go make disciples of who? Oh, good. Uh, all nations. 
This is that wonderful counterpoint to where we started, right? The if you can see them, they count bit, uh, which is true. This is the balancing act of that, of yes, that's where we start, but we gotta get all people on board, even if they don't live in your country, or even in your local ethnicity group. All nations, which for us at Overflow, all nations means that we have to have impact beyond Berrien County. Like, yes, 100%. We spend 90% of our budget locally. Like, we are heavily invested in this town, in this place, in this city, in this county. We want to see Jesus's shalom impact every little nook and cranny of Benton Harbor, St. Joe's, Stevensville. But we also, because of what Jesus said, need to occasionally look beyond just our local area that we drive within 10 minutes to and say, okay, what could God be up to that we can jump on board with? Which is an incredibly amazing thing that we started this sermon with John and Libby, getting to share about, hey, God is moving us to this other place that is across the globe that's in a certain window that most Christians don't go to because it's a predominantly Muslim window. And you know what? We're going to go there and use the skills God gave us as doctors to preach the gospel through our lives. Again, if you want to support them, reach out, we'll help you. But also, we, we need to be willing to pray some kind of dangerous prayer, some kind of dangerous thing like, God, if it's not me, who do I send? Okay, God, on the one hand, let's, let's check, let's see what your plan is for me, like beyond my idea of what I should be doing with my own life. Uh, is it me that you're sending beyond my home or no? Yes, no, and be open to the conversation with Jesus, how that's going to go. But God, if it's not me, who do I need to send? Who do I need to support with my finances? Who do I need to pray for? Who do I need to give time to? Maybe something that I have is a certain level of expertise that can help shape someone on their way out and equip them to be able to be ready to go. But whatever it is, God, if it's not me, who do I send? Because beyond the people we can see, we need to also get to all nations. So we have go, make disciples, all nations, and then what? What's, what's this next like, key word here? Uh, baptizing. Real quick. Baptism has absolutely nothing to do with the location. I know it's cool that we baptize at the beach, and it's a great experience, and we make a little beach day out of it. Uh, but baptism is about your entire life, not necessarily where you get baptized. We've baptized people in hot tubs. We've baptized people in actual tubs, like with the shower. Like we've baptized people in ponds, in a horse trough is how we normally do it, and at a beach. Like, like baptism can happen anywhere, but it's about that commitment. See, the Greek word baptizo is a dying term. Not like death dying, that's a little grim, uh, but like tie-dye, like clothes dying term. As in, once you like tie-dye a shirt, you can't untie-dye that shirt. Right? Once you've made that decision, gone through that experience, made that call, there's no going back. 
Baptism is that no-going-back moment. And the pattern in the New Testament of how, how we do this thing, because, we okay, we go, we, we go to people, we share what we know about Jesus, we try to make disciples, we invest all of ourselves to try and get one other person to just get the point. Eventually, we start sending some other people too, and we baptize. Like, the, the general pattern is as soon as someone makes that commitment to Jesus, dunk them in the water. Because when we commit to Jesus, it shouldn't be like a like trial period. Like the trial period should be like, well, during that like initial part of discipling, which still continues after they're baptized, by the way. Uh, but like, it's like, repent, believe, be baptized. Boom. That's the model. So we go make disciples, everybody baptize, and then do what? Because again, discipleship continues after like that like sinner's prayer, repent, believe, like uh, baptism, it continues after. Uh, and it says this, teach to obey all. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Again, real quick, uh, what is the best way to teach somebody? By experience. Rather than just like shoveling information at them, the best way to teach someone is by experience, to actually like be with them when they're doing it, help them like be hands-on with whatever they're doing. The best way to teach is by experience, and once again, slow and inefficient work. But again, it's the best kind of work. But again, okay, so what are we teaching them? Uh, all the commands, which in short, would serve as this thing, uh, this Bible. Hopefully we know it well enough to teach someone else. Uh, but I was reading, I think I was reading, maybe I was listening to a podcast, I don't remember, uh, and I ran across this quote uh, from a, a guy that you probably heard of, his name is Gandhi, uh, and he said this about us. You Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down, and bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But... You treat it as nothing more than a piece of literature. Yup. Now, we're Americans, uh, which means if we treat something like literature, probably means we didn't read it. Uh, because we're not really into like reading books at this point. Uh, because like we, we do other things or we just have other hobbies or whatever. We don't read a lot, and which unfortunately is pretty common with Christians at this point in America. It's real bad. Like something like over 90% of Christians don't actually read their Bibles in America. Um, but beyond that, let's say we do read our Bibles. And we still treat it as only literature, which means we haven't gone into that going process, which means that, like, the whole, like, if we're not willing to go, we're not ready to grow thing, uh, which means we're trying to, like, grow, but without applying. But when Jesus says, teach to obey all the commands, it means not just, like, only the red letters in Matthew, but, like, the whole thing, because Jesus did a lot more than just talk, but also Jesus brought in and like confirmed the rest of the Bible for us that it's valuable. And so we do with that, we not only like read it, but we figure out how it changes us. And then through that, in our discipling process, we give that to someone else. 
Now I know I've laid out like a zillion things that are, that are somewhat challenging or like difficult things to do uh, because it is objectively hard to follow Jesus. It's a better life, but it is a more difficult one. Like there's things we have to engage with. Then right before even his own disciples got really overwhelmed by this, Jesus says this like super encouraging thing. He's like, be sure of this. I know I just told you to do a whole heck of a lot. I know. But I will be with you. Even though this can be overwhelming, and it is, I'll be with you. The actual engine to who we are as believers, the actual power that actually makes us all possible, the actual, like, thing that stops us from being overwhelming, that actually gives us the hope that we can actually obey Jesus, is Jesus. Right, like, like Jesus is like, okay, I, get, I made a huge list of things. It'll be cool. I'll also give you the strength to do it. No, it's not going to be the most attractive thing on earth. It's going to be very, very unsexy, inefficient work. Like, people aren't going to look at you and go, that's an awesome person. They're going to be like, ah, it's a little slow. But that's fine. Jesus is just like, hey, I'll be with you. I'll figure out all the hard math to go along with this. It'll be all right. So what's set before us is this. In whatever years that God gives you that you have left, let's just say 20, uh, like the average age of people at overflow is like 40, 45. You know, we've got like young-ish or like kid families with like older kids growing up. Right, so let's arbitrarily say that you have 20 years left to live. Some of us more, some of us less. In the next 20 years of your life, can you disciple one person? One. Can you invest all of your energy, uh, give everything you've got, share what you've learned and what you've definitely messed up along the way, but also some of the things you've figured out along the way, can you share that with one other person? Can you bring somebody into your circle and say, hey, I know that this is like complicated, I know that this is a definite change of who you are and who you're going to be for the rest of your life, but have we tried following Jesus. In whatever number of years God gives you left, can you disciple one? And if one, you know what? Maybe it takes you a decade to get one. Well, then you have a whole other decade. Maybe you can get two, three. But allow the slow process to take place. And, and I, know, I know when I say disciple, it can get still kind of murky. Here's the deal. I'm not asking you to get people at at a different level than you're at. I'm not asking you to get someone else to Pastor Brian's level. I'm asking you, can you get someone else to the level that you are at? If that level is only, I believe. Can you get someone else to the point that says, I believe? If the level that you are at is, okay, I believe, and I've got a decent handle on what's going on in these scriptures, can you get like two people to the point of, I believe, and I've got a decent handle on what's going on in these scriptures. Hey, if, if, if you're a super high-capacity person, you're like, I believe, I, I know this stuff, and I know how to like, engage other people in this community well, I can reach out. I'm not so great with the reading, but I can at least, like, I know how to engage 
and like bring Jesus to others, okay, can you get somebody else to the point of, I believe and I can engage other people? Because again, it's not a matter of, can you get people to someone else's level? Can you get people to the pastor's level? Can you get people to like some amazing Billy Graham evangelist level? No. But can you get one person to your level? And in the midst of that entire process, the promise from Jesus is still the same. I'm with you. I'll do the hard part. Just need you to follow. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. God, there's a lot of complexity to being alive. There's a lot of complexity to being a person right now in a global pandemic and all the other things going on. There's a lot of complex things that we're gonna have to deal with, like even just figuring out how school's gonna go in a couple of weeks. In the midst of that, we pray you over all the like difficult math that we're gonna have to do to figure out schedules and timing. We also pray that you would give us the opportunity to bring others in, the opportunity to disciple other people. Because God, what you've done for us is amazing. There's nothing better in our lives than what you have done. God, help us to let others have the same experience too. So God, for all of these things and everything else that is on our minds today, we give it over to you and we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.